All right. Good morning, everyone. As I mentioned earlier, I'm Jeremy Young. I'm the children's pastor here. And through the process of elimination, I've been chosen a hero series on Easter Sunday, Easter weekend. And I think that's the problem. Uh, we normally only do two services, 9 o'clock, 1030. But last week, we added in a third. We always do an Easter on Saturday night. Take Sunday, just wore the old man out. And um, so he, he just couldn't. He had to take the Sunday off today. So, so I'm up here today. Uh, last week, Pastor Brooks started this series called Hero, and his, his message was that God's ultimate hero story centers around the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection is too big to talk about in just one Sunday, Easter Sunday. It's something we almost have to talk about every single week because it's so powerful. And as Paul would say, if we don't have the resurrection, Paul, an apostle, follower of Jesus, if we don't have the resurrection, then we really don't have anything. Uh, there's nothing to celebrate. There's nothing to be excited about. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. He'd forgiven us of our sins, but we're still going to die. But when we see him rise again at the resurrection, we see that hero arising from the ashes. We know, oh, wow, we get to be like him one day. We get to rise again, too, if we believe in him. And today we're going to look at how the resurrection, how Jesus' resurrection affects our lives, our lives. So disciples' lives, and we'll focus specifically on one of those heroes and how it affects our lives. So today, my message is called Zero to Hero. All right, zero to, all right, so zero to hero. Now, everybody wants to be a hero. In our podcast coming up, not this week, but next week, we're talking about our favorite heroes, and I always wanted to be in the eyes of my wife and my kids. I had a zero moment not that long ago. You think you're gonna rise up to the challenge, right? There's gonna be a challenge in your mind, maybe it's just me, but in my mind, I think about like, over to my wife. Well, a couple years ago, I was sitting on my front porch with my son, and I was on the front porch swing on this side of our porch, and then there's our front doors. And all of a sudden, there must have been like a wasp nest underneath one of the chairs because he was just swarmed by bees, getting stung left and right, screaming. And so I jumped out of the, that I was thinking. I was just being a coward, and I was like, is there a moment I can jump in and grab him without getting stung? And so I'm sitting here doing this, like trying to jump in, and the whole time he's screaming and yelling, getting stung, my wife going, and I was just kind of like, what just happened? So I walked in the door, and my wife was like, what were you doing? And I'm like, I was looking for a moment to save the day. But it me. And I couldn't just jump in there and risk being stung to save my poor child who's getting stung to death. But, you know, I, I just I didn't show up. I was a zero. And all of us have those zero moments where we think we're going to rise to the occasion, but we just fall short. And really, to be honest, as Pastor Brooke mentioned last week, there's only one person that always rose to the occasion, and that was Jesus Christ. Now, as a young man, I wanted to save the world. I wanted to do great things. I wanted to be on my own. In fact, as soon as I graduated, together in this little bitty apartment, moved out of our, our homes with our parents, and me and my buddy Jamin, we moved in together in this little bitty apartment, and it was small. We had a little gallery kitchen that you walked in through, through the back. And when the landlord showed us the apartment, there was a living room, and there was like one of these sectional couches in there, and it was broken. It was like lopsided. He's like, don't worry, guys. I'll get rid of that for you. And we're like, no, no, keep it. We don't have any furniture. And so we actually got a third roommate, and we took that couch, and we moved it into the bedroom. 
And we had a radiator shoved up against one side so the recliner thing wouldn't pop up. One of my friends slept on one side of the sectional, the other on the other side, and I slept on a hammock that went over top of it. And uh, in fact, we had a lot of trouble getting that hammock in because we kept sticking in the wall. And then my, my friend that we had move in, BJ, he's like our heaviest friend. So we'd get him on it and then it dropped. And then we'd put him on it and then it dropped. And we had about 20 holes up and down the wall. Hard cell. And that took up. Poor dad had to fill them in when we moved out. But we, the reason we had to move into that room is because we bought a pool table at a yard cell and that took up the living room. <laughs> and so we couldn't have anything else from underneath. He lived in the apartment under us. His name was Jerry. And Jerry used to break my heart. Jerry was intoxicated from the time the sun came up to the time he went to sleep. And he was just a mess. He was an older guy. I would go occasionally and check on him because he'd be down there groaning. And he just lived in, it was filth. I mean, he was just filthy dirty. And here I am, a young guy, 18 years old. And I'm like, I'm going to save this dude. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save this guy. So I went into his apartment. I didn't ask his permission. I went into his apartment. And I took all his alcohol away. And what I would do is every day I would come down and I would pour some alcohol into like a coffee cup, and I would give him that, and I would ration him a cup every day. And at first, Jerry got a little bit better. And uh, look at me, I'm at a point I'm within that week where he was outside planting tulips, and we were having a great conversation, and I thought, look at me, I'm, I'm the hero. Look at what I did for this guy. Until I got a call from the hospital. Uh, about six or seven days after we started this process, Jerry was at the laundromat, and he passed out. Um, from all the withdrawal and from everything that was going on. I had no idea. I was just, you know, an 18-year-old guy. And so I went to the hospital feeling guilty, went to check on Jerry. And he said something, and I'll never forget. I've held on to this, to this day. He said, Jeremy, you can't save the world. And for me, it was kind of like a, a moment of just real discouragement because I was like, wow. I, mean, I, I thought I was going to do all these great things for the Lord. I thought I was going to do this. I thought I was going to do that. And as I've gotten older, I've realized I tried to save Jerry in my own power, and I tried to force it on some Jesus being the hero through you. So today, as we look at this zero to hero, we're going to study somebody in the Bible, one of the disciples, who tried to be a hero, and he came up as zero so many times until he witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, and that changed everything. In fact, today's hero is Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Now, Simon Peter, one of the 12 disciples that Jesus picked, uh, we believe that he was a married man. He lived near the Sea of Galilee. It's where he was born. It's where he lived, it's where he did business. He was a fisherman. He was actually in business with James and John, two other disciples. They were brothers that Jesus would call the sons of thunder. And these three were actually kind of in an inner circle together with Jesus. They were the three that went and witnessed Jesus transfigure, where he changed on top of a mountain and they saw all his glory. In fact, Peter had one of these moments you're going to see in just a minute where he kind of came up short. He was so excited. He was like, uh, I don't know what I just experienced. I just saw all these things happen. And Moses and Elijah showed up at the same time. And he's like, let's do this. Let's build this. And then God shows up and God just says, this is my son. Listen to him. <laughs> Peter was so busy talking, he couldn't listen. And then he fell on his face hearing God's voice. But not only were they there to witness the transfiguration, but these three also were there when Jesus was able to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And they were the three uh, disciples who were chosen to go and help prepare the Passover, uh, Jesus' last meal. Now, I want to introduce to you when, Jesus, uh, when Peter came on the scene and when Jesus came into his life. And first we meet him in John chapter 1, verses 41 through 42. You don't have to run through your Bibles today unless you want to. I'm going to have it all on the screen. Now, Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, 
That is the Christ, the anointed one spoken about in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ that will come and redeem the nation of Israel, save God's people. So obviously Peter, as a Jew, had knowledge of who the Messiah was because his brothers tell him, we found the Messiah. So Simon walks out and he's brought to Jesus and Jesus looks at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas. Now Cephas is Aramaic. But when it's translated into the Greek, he's met the Messiah. But meeting Jesus, he probably thought there wasn't anything that just stood out. It wasn't one of those moments where it was probably like, oh, wow, that, there's something different about this guy. Uh, Jesus just, Peter gets convinced in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, when he, Jesus, was finished speaking. He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for anything. So Peter says, all right, master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything but because you say so, I will let you know for a fish that their nets began to break. And if you look at Luke 5, 8, Simon Peter saw this. He falls on his knees and he says, that's the moment when Simon Peter realizes this is somebody different. This is the Messiah. And what does he realize at that moment? That he is a zero. That he is a sinful man. You know, it's easy for all of us to kind of be a hero in our own minds because we tend to compare ourselves to others, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm a better. But when you are compared to Jesus, you realize how sinful you are <laughs> because Jesus is perfect and he's the one that we're supposed to compare ourselves to. So it's amazing and it's great and it's God-honoring that Simon Peter had this moment where he realized, I am a zero. I am a sinful man. Now, Peter would follow Jesus at that moment, and the next three years would be life-changing for him. But what we're going to see here is that Peter would have these really heroic moments where he would do something great or say something great, and then automatically it would go back to a zero moment because he was trying to do it in his own power. In fact, we see one of the most amazing things that a mere person has ever done in Matthew 14, verses 27 through 30. Jesus is walking on the water toward the boat. His disciples are in the boat. And they are panicking, like, is this a ghost? Why do we see this man walking to us on the water in the middle of the night? And so Peter answers him, Jesus. He said, Peter is being a hero here. I mean, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out on the water and come to you. I see you walking on the water. I'm going to walk on the water. So Jesus said, come, came to Jesus. Can you imagine that? I mean, we just think about these stories, but to really imagine it, like, he's walking on top of water, and he's doing, he's walking on the water to Jesus. But then he does what so many of us do. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he gets control. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. So many of us, we want to be bold for Jesus, those for him. But so many of us are scared to do so. We have doubts. We have fears. And Simon Peter had these doubts and fears. But what I'm going to do fears would immediately be gone. And he would be able to live boldly for the Lord. Now, Peter was kind of the de facto. Occasionally, Peter would have a foot. In. I think the re I've always kind of shied away from studying Peter. And I think the reason why is he's the disciple I most relate to. Because I'm always taught. I love to tell jokes. And they're like, you will tell 100 jokes just to get one funny one. I'm like, that's right. And I will. And I'll come up with a million ideas, whether in meetings or whatever. I'm just always running my mouth and occasionally talking about, all right? 
I'll never forget at my last church, it was, uh, we had these deacons who would help us run the church, and we had a deacon meeting once, and there was this guy named Frankie, just this good old southern boy, and he never said me. And I remember one time, he said something incredible. I had said all these stupid things in a meeting. And so I asked him in front of the guys, I said, Frankie, why is it that every time you talk, you seem so wise? And uh, he was exactly right. I mean, he was exactly right. He only said something when there was wisdom that was about to come out. But Peter was just always talking, verses 15 through 18. He said, Jesus said, but what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Because all these people are trying to figure out who Jesus is. And Simon Peter heroically stepped up in verse 5. Brilliant response. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So what a moment of heroic, right, for just Peter. He's like, wow, I'm a hero. I said the thing after Jesus died and rose again from the grave and walked around with them for about 40 days. Uh, at the 50th day, past the Passover, on the day of Pentecost, Peter would stand up and give an incredible, what a moment for Peter, for that to happen, for him to know exactly who Jesus is and know that Jesus is going to use him to start the church. That's it. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the laws, all the religious leaders, and he's already warned to life. Now, right now, all Peter knows is Jesus. And he knows he's the Messiah. And Peter's feeling heroic, right? So he took Jesus aside. Can you imagine taking, we do that a lot in our lives, right? God tells us, here's what I want you to do. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but here's a better way. All right, I know a better way. So Peter takes him aside, Jesus. And he said, never, Lord, Satan. Woo, my own wife's never called me that. And I've done some pretty bad things, all right? And he said, you are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but me very, very quickly. Now, that was a big zero moment, but it wasn't his biggest zero moment. On the night that Jesus was crucified, they're having that last supper, and in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33, Peter told Jesus, he answered him, he said, though all will fall away because of you, he said, truly I tell you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Wow, not Peter, no way. And so Peter said to him, and then all the disciples said the same thing. They're all being heroes at this moment. That'll never happen. Now, before this incident, before Peter would deny him, that night Jesus would come to arrest him. Jesus, Judas comes to give Jesus a kiss and to betray him and to turn him over to be arrested. And Simon Peter has a sword with him, all right? And he's got this sword with him. One of the high priest's servants, and he cuts his ear off. You're, like, You're never going to take Jesus. And then cuts the guy's right ear off. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. He's thrilled. His heart's pumping. He's got the adrenaline rushing. He's trying to do something big. He's got this heroic moment. He cuts off a guy's ear. And, I mean, just, you know, he's pumped up. He's going to stay with Jesus. Again, Peter denied it, 1827. Peter again denied it, knowing Jesus. And then at that third moment, at once, a rooster crowed. Just like that. At the moment that Jesus needed him the most, he crumbled. He tried to stand up and do something in his own power. He tried to cut off. He failed him. How depressed. I can't imagine how discouraged, how deflated, how depressed Peter was after that he thought about life was right there with Jesus. There was no way he was going to let Jesus die. He told him, I'm never going to let you die. I'll never deny you. I will die with you if that's the case. And, and, and he takes a sword. For some reason, he cowards in that moment. 
and he fails the Lord. All of us in this room have had a moment like this, maybe many moments, especially if you're master temper, right? You said the wrong thing. You got a little bit out of control. You were supposed to show up and be there and do something, and you didn't do it. You had a moment had those, and we feel like such failures, and we feel like there's nothing that can be done to erase that moment, and we live with regret. We live, but something would change for Peter. When he felt the most ultimate zero moment ever, something would change that would turn him from a zero to a true hero. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price, and he became the sin, and he took the shame for every failure. For us to continue to live in it, to be depressed by it, to live in regret, to live with that shame, that goes directly against what he did for us on the cross. When he died on the cross, he nailed it to more. And that's what would happen with Peter's sin. Jesus would restore Peter after he rose again from the grave. But what would be an even bigger more go and run and hide? They would go, start to go back to their old lives. What was there to live for anymore? Jesus was gone. Maybe he wasn't who he said he was. They were confused. They didn't know. Had those encounters with Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed. When I was in my mid-20s, which was near where Amber and I lived at the time. And for whatever reason, I had a moment while I was there that I thought, nope, I'm supposed to be in a ministry. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I changed all my classes. And so I was faced with all these things I'd never heard of before. And so I was searching for answers. And so my friend invited me to go to, go to the seminary. I remember, uh, it was at nighttime, and I remember coming out of class. And I remember looking up at the sky and realizing that the evidence up, and it went from right belief to looking in the sky and saying, God, this is real. And I want to ask you today, have you ever grappled with the resurrection? Pretty much not all belief, but what if it actually happened? Now, pretty much all scholars believe there was a man named Jesus. And they all believe that he died by crucifixion in the year AD 30 to AD 33, somewhere in that time frame. But did you know that 75% of scholars, and these are non, non-believing reasons for this. Uh, one, there were many people who claimed that the tomb was empty. Not just the Bible, but, but sources outside of what we have in the text. And also, there was no body that was ever produced. They never found Jesus' body. Now, the Romans at any time could have shut down the church. Because think about this. The church blossomed right there in Jerusalem. At any moment, somebody could have drug his body out and been like, look, here he is. But it never happened because hundreds of people were going around claiming because you have to deal with a man who died and rose again. So what do scholars say happened? Because you have to deal with this. You have to, in your mind, you have to come to this point where you got to say, what happened? How do all these people think they saw Jesus risen from the grave? Well, well some people say, well, he didn't actually die, right? That he swooned. You know, that he kind of fainted, on the, somehow rolled the stone away and just walked right out, right? And there's so many problems with this. One, Jesus was beaten horrifically to the point you couldn't even recognize him. Suffering, trying to breathe, couldn't get his breath. And eventually you kind of drown with the water that surrounds your lungs. And John explained this, or Luke explained, they knew he was dead. That's why they didn't break his legs. See, they broke the other two men who were being crucified. They broke their legs because the sun was going down. It was about to be the Sabbath day, the Passover. Didn't want, 
And if he did revive out of the tomb, he certainly wouldn't be walking around high-fiving people saying, what's up, it's me, I'm rising from the dead. He wouldn't be able to do that. Well, some people say, well, maybe the disciples stole the body if this was true. They would have known if they stole the body. All the disciples, including Simon Peter, were tormented and beaten. Did any of them say, hey, guys, hold back just a second. It didn't really happen. <laughs> you know, Simon went and stole the body. It never happened. We just made the whole thing up. They had nothing to gain from this. They honestly, the hundreds of people had with Jesus at that moment. And this, is, this isn't just a legend. In 1 Corinthians 15, which most all scholars go back and look at, the beginning of 1 Corinthians years after Jesus died and rose again, that Jesus had presented himself to disciples and hundreds of people had seen Jesus alive after he had died. Now, this is mass hallucinations. They all just hallucinated it. That would be like you and I waking up and saying, how was that dream we had last night? It doesn't happen because hallucinations are personal. Dreams are personal. What you're going to find out is that there's a great chance that the best possible explanation is that this man actually rose again from the grave. And if he did, what? That says that if everything he said was true and he says if I believe in him, I can have eternal life, that means I don't have literally anything to be afraid of. If that's true and you get to the point in your life where you firmly believe it's true, it changes everything. And it turned right. It was amazing. In fact, that is our main point. We have one point today. We can be heroes because heroes. Now, I didn't come up with this. Nothing's broke for me. And he said, take it, run with it. And so I am. So I credit him. He came up with this. We can be heroes because he rose. Isn't that news? And on that moment, that day of Pentecost, when he preached that amazing sermon and the church started, 3,000 different speaking people were able to come and know Jesus as Savior. Not only that, the reason why we have the worldwide church today, Christians today, he would bring together the Jews, the Samaritans, who the Jews despised, a mixed race of people, a people who had some messed up beliefs, would go and bring the Gentiles, people like you and me, non-Jewish people, into the family of God, people that they weren't even allowed to be in their same home to eat with them, anything. Peter, so many amazing miracles that people, in Acts chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, it says people tried to get in his shadow just so he could be, they could be healed. Can you imagine that superpower working through Peter? It wasn't his own power this time. It was the power of the resurrection, the power of Jesus living in and through him. In Acts 4, 13, and they had just preached another sermon, and like 2,000 more people had joined the church. I mean, the church is rapidly going right there in Jerusalem, right there where they could have produced the body, right there where they would. And the elders and the teachers of the law are worried about this. So when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized, these are zeros. <laughs> these are unschooled, chosen to be who we are. They're just regular guys. They're zeros. But when they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Heroic lives. That is a verse for you and me today. That we can live astonishingly heroic lives if we've been with Jesus. Because Jesus, the resurrection changed everything. Paul speaks about this in Romans 8, 11. He says, if the spirit of him, that's God, the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, from the dead will also give lives to your mortal bodies. Because of his spirit who lives in you. The same power that rose Jesus from to be a hero for Jesus because the ultimate hero sent his spirit to live in you once you believed in him. You have the resurrection 
power. You can boldly go else in your workplace. Nobody else in your family will. You can boldly live for God because you have the resurrection power living in you. But so many times we walk around deflated like we're zeros, but he not who rose for us. Now maybe you're here today and you realize that you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've been confronted with the fact all of us one day are going to face death. But if you believe in Jesus, you can live forever and ever and ever. Even if you're online, all you have to do is just talk to Jesus right where you're at. Just tell him that you are a zero, that you've messed up, that you've sinned against God, that you're not to save you. You're drowning in your sins. You're sinking in your sins. And this is your moment to cry out, Lord, save me. And he promised, and you call him Lord, he will come in your life and save you today and start a brand new relationship with you that will last into eternity. And he will help you strengthen and strengthen and strengthen your faith so you will sin, everything you've ever done, you can let that go and lay it at the feet of the cross. And then you can live that resurrected life now into eternity. Hey, I'll be up here in the front. If you want to come and pray with me or talk with me, I'd love to pray with you and talk about what it means to believe in Jesus. If you want to come and pray at the altar, you're more than welcome. Or just at your seat, a moment, fill out one of those connection cards. Or go online and fill out a connection card and just let us know, I decided to follow Jesus. And we want to help you along this journey. So if you don't... Lord, we want to just stop and just thank you, God. Thank you for being our hero. Thank you for those who are lost. So my first prayer right here this morning, Jesus, is that you would reach down and you would save anyone who feels that they are lost. Don't have, and you will save them, and you will keep that promise. Lord, if anyone does, I pray that they would be bold enough to let us know so we can start. People sitting here who feel like zeros, they've messed up over and over and over again, and they live in that regret, they live in that shame, and that keeps them from living heroically that at the cross that is cast as far as the east is from the west. And You don't remember it anymore. You choose not to remember it anymore. And they don't have to either. They can live freely for you. And I pray that today, confronted with the resurrection, that they would realize they have the Holy Spirit's power living in their lives. And they can do great things and do something amazing in their lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name.